I'm Jeff Cohen. You're about to meet John Minster, who's billed as Associate Director of Ideas at the Tikva Fund, an institution committed to developing intellectual, religious, and political leaders of Israel. Minster grew up as a Christian in Michigan, but now he lives as an observant Jew in Jerusalem, which is why I invited John to share his story. John, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So we can see just from the introduction, there's going to be quite the journey from Michigan to Jerusalem. So let's dive right in. That's where your story starts in in Michigan. What part? Yeah, I grew up in a place called Traverse City, Michigan. It is about four and a half hours north of Detroit. You know, people think of Michigan as as the hand. We lived in the the upper left corner, so not quite an upper peninsula, but significantly far away from large cities and certainly any observant Jewish life. So the closest I ever got to you is that my sister actually went to University of Michigan. So I went to some games with 100,000 people throwing marshmallows at halftime, had some good times there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think Ann Arbor is about three, three and a half hours. I didn't go to Michigan, and I grew up a Michigan State fan, so I can't say I would get along too well with your sister. But, uh... <laughs> okay, so we'll move on then to the, the point of the interview and stay away from Michigan versus Michigan State. Definitely, definitely. So I mentioned in the introduction about growing up Christian. So just give our listeners a sense of what was going on religious-wise in your family, like in the younger years. Sure. So I always tell people that I grew up nominally Christian, which to me basically means that we identified ourselves as Christian. You know, my dad went to a Catholic school growing up. My mom, you know, many of her family members are are regular churchgoers. Um, But we did not attend church ourselves. We celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Easter. But it was very much in a cultural sense. You know, we would put like nativity scenes out during Christmas time and that sort of thing. And we'd watch, you know, Christian media and things like that. But we never were devout churchgoers. And, you know, the Christian faith was not like a big part of our household. It was just sort of an assumed thing. The real only sort of religious education I had growing up that was Christian was I went to a vacation Bible school every summer for a couple weeks, and that was at a local church, and they had all sorts of activities and things like that. You know, I always remembered enjoying it, and I have positive memories from that experience, but we never made it a big part of our home. It was just sort of assumed, and and that was it. You know, my dad, enough people who go to Catholic school, he did not particularly connect to to his his schooling growing up, um, so he didn't push it on us, and um, my mom just sort of wanted to care, but she didn't care enough to make it an important part of of our home. Given the way you just described religion in the home, how did you feel as a young kid toward religion, towards God? Did you have feelings about this stuff as a young child? You know, I don't know if it comes from my parents, but growing up, I always, it was just a default assumption that God existed, that God was there, that we would go to heaven when, when we died, that when I would have family members who would pass away, they would go to heaven too, and we'd see them again at some point. In some capacity like that, it was never fleshed out theologically or really dwelled upon as something that we need to be mindful of and careful of, but it was just kind of an assumption that I had. I've never asked my sister this question, but I'd be curious to ask her and just see what her impressions are of that time. But I think we talked about it enough and discussed it enough that there was just sort of this assumption that this is what I would expect. And then religion within life, it wasn't such a, a big thing. You know, the only time I ever had gone to church growing up at least was I went with a friend once. And that was very weird because I had to dress up and sit through this very long service. So that, that was really the, the how, how things, how I sort of experienced things growing up. I introduced you as an observant Jew living in Jerusalem. But in those early years, what did you know about 
Judaism. Did you know anything? Had you come across Jews? Did you have any experience at all? So I definitely hadn't come across any observant Jews. My sum total of knowledge until probably towards the end of high school was that the Jews lived in Israel, or many Jews lived in Israel. The Jews were persecuted in the Holocaust. And that was about it. Like, I think maybe I knew in the back of my brain that Jews followed the Tanakh and whatnot, but I certainly didn't know what the word Tanakh was. And I didn't know anything about Jewish theology or Jewish observance really at all. We had some education in high school related to that. I distinctly remember we, we had to read um, The Chosen by, by Chaim Potak, and we had to read, we read, of course, uh, Anne Frank's Diary and, and Night by Elie Wiesel. But starting college, that was like the extent of my, my Jewish knowledge was whatever I picked up from those books. And I remember The Chosen being especially confused by all of it. I, I, I remember somebody added the words, they talked about quoting the Torah in a paper, and I had no idea what the Torah was in ninth grade at the time. I was just thinking about my youngest child just had an exercise in school. He's in fourth grade, and they were talking about what you want to be when you grow up and what's important to you and how you think your life is going to turn out. Could that kid in Michigan have ever pictured in his wildest dreams that he was going to be doing an interview a number of years later from Jerusalem as an observant Jew? Would that have ever even entered your imagination as a young kid? Uh, no, it definitely would not have. I think as I got older, there are reasons where it may have somehow in the, the one in 1,000 chance, but growing up go, in high school, all that, like I never would have even expected that maybe I could be religiously observant in some way, but as a Jewish person living in Israel, living in Jerusalem, it's completely out of left field in a good way, but um, not expected. And that's why we're excited to see how your life takes that turn and that, and that comes, and we'll get to that later in the interview. You were talking about high school, so let's go through the high school into college years. Were you starting to think about career, where you wanted to go to school, what you wanted to study? A little bit. I was very active on our, our school newspaper in high school. And so I had initially sort of thought, well, maybe I'd go into journalism as part of that. But to be honest, when I was thinking about college, part of it was what I wanted to do, but also part of it was just constructing the life I wanted to live. You know, a lot of Americans, when they start going to college, you know, they think about it as, and this is in contrast to a lot of what you'll find in Israel, they don't think about it as, I'm going somewhere to learn a skill and I'm going somewhere to really like get the, the absolute credentials I need to follow this particular path. It's very much more focused on experience and learning things, but maybe not necessarily always in class. And so I was very much in that sort of milieu. Like to me, college was, a place to get a credential to get something that would help me in my career, but I wasn't thinking especially carefully about what I wanted to do long-term at the time. I just had an idea of where I wanted to go and the kind of experience that I, I wanted to have. Where did you end up going to college then? So I went to school at DePaul University in Chicago. I always say that Chicago was far enough from my, my family that I couldn't go home every weekend but not so far that it would be especially difficult to get back if need be, although in, in the snow in Michigan sometimes that was sometimes a challenge. I started out studying journalism and then over time I switched to, to economics and political science and I thought, well, if I don't like it, I can, I can always transfer to, to Michigan or Michigan State or somewhere closer by. You hear a lot about anti-Semitism on campus these days. I'm wondering what you may have seen, given you weren't Jewish at that point, were you noticing any of that? Was it prevalent at DePaul? Some of this stuff happened before I got there. There was, uh, most of the anti-Semitism related to Ball was, was connected to Students for Justice in Palestine. So we did have an active Students for Justice in Palestine group, although 
The only times I really remember where something was significant that made a difference that caught people's attention was after I sort of was learning more about Judaism and exposed and being exposed to that. So I don't particularly remember and it wasn't something that was top of mind. I only knew that there was a student supporting Israel group and there was a students for justice in Palestine group and I was sympathetic to the Israel group just from the way I grew up, but I didn't have any any like real stake in the game in that way. And you mentioned uh, in your in your prior answer this idea that when you're in college there's the classes you're taking and there's the extracurriculars and other experiences that you're having. So what were you doing besides the education while you were on campus? What were some things you got involved in? So I got involved in our college Republicans group. So I met a lot of close friends from that and I was adjacent to sort of our student supporting Israel group. I went to a couple meetings just because I had friends who were connected to that. Um, and then I also spent a lot of time doing uh, something called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is kind of like wrestling. That was like my, my way to, to stay active. But between those things and between my classes, that was sort of the way I kept myself busy. And that also exposed me over time to more Jewish things. I remember for an SSI event there was like a speaker, I don't even remember who it was, and there was falafel, and I didn't know what a falafel was, but that's food, so that's good. And I have a friend who's putting it on, so let's go support him. But I didn't really know what I was getting into exactly, and I didn't have that connection. It was just a thing, a social event to, to attend. So there's nothing in your mind as you're getting exposed to this thinking, wow, this is a religion that might be right for me. You're not at that point yet in your life. It's just something you're doing more socially, like you said. You know, I had always had a sense, especially as I matured, I felt like religion was important in some way. You know, you hear about, about people talking about it, the way they talk about it and the way that it governs their lives. I didn't really hear about it from a Jewish perspective, primarily from a Christian perspective. But you always knew religion was important. And in some of the reading that I had done, I'd encountered books that had talked about how, you know, many of the, the happiest people out there are often typically religious people. So. I had this sense that religion was important, but I didn't know how it could be important to me. I remember just before I really got exposed to, to Judaism, I, I went to a church on Easter, which I had never done before. I didn't really connect. I didn't quite understand fully what was going on, and I knew we were singing, and there was a, a preacher who was giving a sermon, but I didn't connect especially to, to what it was. And that was it, and I tried to go more, because I tried to make it a part of sort of a daily schedule. But it just never connected, and after a couple months, I just I fell off and stopped doing that, and thought to myself, well, maybe you know, some point down the line, when I have a family or kids, whatever it may be, maybe I'll be more connected then, or I'll make it try to make it more a part of my life. But Judaism as an option hadn't even occurred in my, in my mind at that point. But you are still learning a few things about it from the club that you're involved in. So people are talking about Israel and Judaism. Whenever that happens, somewhere along the way, someone says, you know what, you got to get on a plane and go experience Israel for yourself. Does that happen to you during the college years? So what happened to me was there, were, there was a group. I, got, I remember I got an email completely out of the blue from somebody at the local Hillel at, at DePaul. And he said that they were putting together this trip to Israel, that it was basically free, that they wanted to invite student leaders to come to Israel and to learn about the politics of the place, to learn about uh, the conflict, to learn about the history, to learn about you know where Israel came from and, and what Israel really is today. Now, when I saw that, I thought it was a fake email because I didn't know that people just got sent to Israel essentially free. That was a very <laughs> bizarre concept to me. I didn't know why anyone would want to pay for me to do that. But I replied because it sounded intriguing. Um, and so I met with somebody and, and he kind of explained the whole trip to me and that was in I think December of, of 2017, we eventually we went on this trip. So me and 
I think maybe 15 other students, 16 other students, something like that, mostly not Jewish, primarily, went on this trip and spent, I think, about a week in Israel. So there was no goal on this trip about exposing you to Judaism in a way where you might think about converting. That's not the point of the trip, no, right? No, not at all. Not at all, yeah. They really even didn't have a lot of religious content on the trip. It's like a birthright trip, but take out all of the Jewish identity stuff and insert political stuff, you know, insert talking, you know, we did like a security tour where we're going to different places along the border wall that Israel has. And we met with, you know, Jewish and, and Palestinian activists. And at the same time, we did go to Yad Vashem. We did spend a Shabbat at a place in Jerusalem called Bet Shmuel. I remember first opening a Siddur and I didn't understand that it was read right to left. And I'm like trying to turn it and very confused. And there's guitars going on and <laughs> it was all very confusing. I would say that was my first like real exposure to Judaism and it wasn't even really Judaism as I understand it today, but it was a form of that and I just thought it was very interesting. It was a little bit weird, but also it was just interesting some of the things that they were they were doing and talking about. Let's go a little deeper on this word you just used, interesting, as you're describing this experience. So you're learning more about Judaism, you're seeing Israel for the first time. What, what are you really feeling about this this whole thing as someone coming from Michigan and then DePaul, you haven't been here before, like, how is it impacting you? I think it's, it's, a, it's a couple things. One, I, I did some reading before the trip to try to, like, really get a sense of what I was going to experience. Uh, because truthfully, you know, growing up, I never would have expected that I would ever go to the Middle East. You know, even Europe seemed kind of like a, a very foreign place. And I'm not sure if I would ever go there, maybe, but not necessarily. So I, so I did some reading. And through some of that, I had a sense of the importance of what Israel was supposed to be, that it was supposed to be a Jewish state. You know, I understood some basics about Zionism and sort of how that fell within Jewish tradition. And so I was seeing, we went to the Kotel and we went to the Golan Heights and we, we spent a lot of time in Tel Aviv and went to the, the Hall of the Declaration of Independence and we talked to religious people and non-religious people and Palestinians. And I can see that there is this great sort of infrastructure that has been built in such a short amount of time in this place that you know beforehand at least seemingly you know wasn't thriving in any way shape or form you look at israel today and what i saw in 2017 relative to israel 1948 and then you know what was there before that during the british mandate in the ottoman empire it's completely miraculous and i think i saw that a little bit you know i could see that as i was going around this country and I'm in the Middle East, but I'm living what felt like in a first world country, which is not something, you know, staying in, in hotels and things like that, that I, I expected or thought of. One of the things I do that we haven't talked about before is that I'm on the board at the OU and I work with Birthright, which you just brought up. And there's a social element to these trips. Yes, they're showing you Israel, but it's Jewish people that they're bringing together and often relationships come out of these trips. Your trip is a little bit different. It's primarily non-Jews, but I would still think there's a, a social side to it. You're meeting people. So does anything like that happen for you? on the social side for the trip? The people that we went on the trip with, that I was actually like in my group, I had a close friend who, who was along with me, and then we had a variety of other people. And when you spend a lot of time with people, you know, you start making friends, you start developing relationships, because most of these people, aside from my one friend, I didn't really know at all. And then one of the best parts of the trip was they actually put us into panels and conversations with Jewish-Israeli college students as well as Arab-Israeli college students as well. Um, and so that really gave us like a different sense of what was going on here and how people viewed it differently. 
And during that trip, I connected with, with one of the Jewish-Israeli students. We spoke, I don't even remember what our, our first conversation was, only that we talked about that, how many kids we wanted to have, which seemed like <laughs> a weird sort of first conversation. But we connected, we made friends for a couple hours. You know, that was actually the same time that we went on the trip to the Old City. We walked through the Old City and, and she came along with that. So my first experience at the Western Wall now was, was with her around too, kind of explaining things to me, which I hadn't really thought of until, until we're talking about it now. But yeah, so we, we met, we, we made friends, we talked, and then we didn't really talk for several months. And then based upon that trip, several months later, my friend and I wanted to do a follow-up because we really enjoyed the trip and we really felt like we got a lot out of it. So we went to APAC and that's where she made her first trip back from Israel to the United States. Her first trip since she made Aliyah when she was young, when she was about, she was eight, I think, when she moved. So it had been about 14, 15 years. She made her first trip back and we reconnected to APAC. And then after that, we were, we were in touch even after she went back to Israel. When you say in touch, you mean it went from a friendship to a relationship? Like, what's the status of this connection the two of you have? So she thought of me as a friend, and I thought of her as a friend. But the more we talked, the more I realized how many of our values were in sync. You know, I mentioned earlier how we both wanted to have a large family. That was something that was very important to me. I realized that we had some similar interests, that we had similar worldviews. We both really cared about the places that we lived, that I was, I cared very much about, about America and even about Michigan, and she cared about Israel. But she had this one thing that I didn't fully understand, and she really cared about Judaism. Being an Israelite, I had seen how so many people really cared about it and how they made it a big part of their lives, but I didn't fully understand the details of that and how it worked. But talking to her enough, I sort of trusted her and saw that if, if, you know, if this is something that really means a lot to this person who over time I'm texting with, I'm, I'm sending videos to, I'm video chatting, watching movies, there must be something to this. It's, this can't be as, as odd as it seems sometimes when you, you know, say that, ah, you can't use elevators on certain days or you can't eat bacon or that sort of thing. The more I spoke to her, I sort of let myself kind of go along with it and think about it and take things that might have seemed a little bit bizarre and think about how they might feel normal when in this different framework. Just to fully understand her background, you said she was from America, her family moved to Israel. Did she grow up fully observant? So her family is largely observant, but they don't pay very careful attention to halakha. Like they keep a, a traditional home, they keep kosher, they keep Shabbat, but they're not getting into, into the details of a lot of things. So for her, she was similar. You know, she was traditional. She cared very much about Judaism and about the Jewish people and about Israel. And it was a big part of her life, but she wasn't like specifically thinking about, okay, I need to say shakol before I ate this, or I can't um, really run and be physically active on Shabbat and that kind of thing. They were a little bit unique among Ashkenazi families, but that's pretty common amongst a lot of Sephardi families in Israel. So she made Aliyah when she was eight, uh, when she was American, and then spent the next 15 plus years uh, in Israel. Clearly there's a spark here that this can go from a friendship to a relationship, but there's also some complexity. You have the fact that she's Jewish, you're not, she's in Israel, you're at DePaul. So how are you working through that? What's going on in terms of the relationship as you think about, could this actually have a future together? So I realized over time as I was talking to her, I realized two things. One, that I cared about her, and two, that Judaism is really important to her. And that if you're going to build a life together in any way, you have to be on the same page when it comes to that. You know, it's an essential part of her life. And for me, 
to be in her life. If I feel like if I feel like I really want to, then it has to be a part of my life too in some way. So I just started doing like Google searches, like what does conversion to Judaism signify? What does it mean? Where you know what are the things you do? And it seemed, you know, they talked about the the Hatafat Dambrit and they talked about the mikvah and you know, that seemed a little weird, but it didn't seem that crazy. And then I started learning about Shabbat and Kashrut and, you know, Shabbat sounds nice, Kashrut sounds a little bit hard sometimes, but, you know, maybe this is something that could work. Eventually, we had a conversation where she was talking about coming and visiting and she basically said to me that if this is going to happen, you know, I have feelings for you and if this is going to move forward, then you would have to convert to Judaism. And at the time, I already knew that, and I told her I know. And then so within the next day, it's funny how Jewish geography works, she had a friend who she was in the army with who knew a rabbi in Chicago, and that rabbi knew another rabbi, and then the next day I was emailing a rabbi in Chicago saying, hi, I'm, I'm interested in conversion to Judaism. What can you tell me? Can I meet you? Did you understand at all the, the different levels, Reform, Conservative, Orthodox? When you're doing a Google search and you're not Jewish, you might think a conversion is actually a pretty simple thing, and someone who's reformed or conservative actually can do it fairly simple, but did you realize what you were getting into and what she really meant when she was talking about you converting? Yeah. When I first sort of did some research, I didn't, but as we talked about it, I had a much better sense of, of what it would entail. And I'll be honest, just based upon my impressions from like what, what I've read and what I'd seen that like Reform Judaism was something that I would really be interested in. I was like, ah, conservative Judaism, yeah, it's sort of, you know, you can do both at the same time, it's good, you're a little bit more flexible, maybe that could be interesting. But, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't an option for her. And so, okay, if this is what makes the most sense to you, then this is what I'm gonna put myself into and I'm gonna see how it goes, you know? I looked at it as an opportunity to really learn something about myself and to maybe set my life on a new and, and meaningful course and I didn't fully know what that would mean and if you took my journey at certain points and took out and said ah, this is gonna happen maybe at the time I would have thought I was crazy but now in hindsight when I get to see you know where I've ended up it, it makes all the sense in the world so how were your parents reacting my, my mom actually I, I told her that um, she was gonna come visit and my mom actually at that point asked would you have to convert I said, well, that would be part of it. Um, but that was definitely like, whoa, this is a very serious thing and it's a big deal. But I, I don't think my parents, they didn't feel any sort of theological problem with it necessarily. It was more just the more they learned about it, at least up front, the more they realized you know, how difficult this could be. When I first started going up to an observant community in Chicago, I had a family wedding that fell on Rosh Hashanah. And then I had another family wedding a few weeks later that fell on Shemini Atzeret. And I remember trying to see if, you know, maybe there's a way I could go, but, you know, it wasn't gonna work. And I, I told my mom that, look, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to come. She always points out to her, that was the first time where she realized, oh my gosh, this is a, a big deal. This is really something that's changing and this is something that we're gonna have to work through as a family. There was a, a Shabbat where they visited once, a few months after I started trying to keep things. And they visited, so I stayed with them in, in, a, in the hotel room. And I tried to keep Shabbat while I was doing that. But you can imagine keeping Shabbat in a one-bedroom hotel room with three people, my sister was there too, who know basically nothing about Judaism, watching me trying to stumble through, making Kiddush on Friday night, seeing me bringing up a, a hot plate that I had brought and like putting food on there. That was all really bizarre and weird, and it was, it was really hard because they didn't understand, and I didn't really have the explanations, the education at that point to help them understand what was going on and why I was doing what I was doing. But over time, 
you know, that, that kind of changed. The way you're describing it reminds me how one of the lessons I learned, I didn't convert, but I did go from secular to religious. The things you just, you described in the hotel room are not the first things you want your parents to see about the religion because they're going to just look very foreign and very strange. My parents came around a lot more when they saw the community side of it and grandkids came in the picture and they saw what the lifestyle was like. That part they could relate to a lot more than warming plates and don't touch the lights and don't drive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I still see that today at this point. I, I see that. My parents didn't have much of a chance to spend time in the Jewish community there, but they did come up to meet my sponsor rabbi at one point. And so he sort of gave them in many ways the same tour that he gave me when I first met him. You know, he took them into the shul, he showed them uh, Sefer Torah, and he talked about some of the things that would mean for my life and for my future with my now wife. And I think that made them feel maybe not necessarily better, but they felt more like, okay, this is a thing that people do. They really liked the, the rabbi, he was very nice, and they felt like he, he cared about their concerns. I think that helped them see that, okay, I'm not just joining this crazy thing. There are real people and real communities behind this and people who are, who are supporting me through this process who actually do have my, my best interests at heart. I'm not sure initially they would have felt that. I would think your parents also, maybe they have concerns about the religious thing, but they're also thinking, is my son about to move thousands of miles away and settle in Israel? Are you having that discussion as, in terms of where your life is going to be? Not really. That was sort of a one-at-a-time kind of thing. I think maybe, you know, they had a sense that there was a possibility that we would go to Israel, but they liked my wife. They did get to meet her one time. We spent a weekend up there, and so she got to meet them and talk to them, and I think they liked her, but they were more concerned about all this other stuff that's going on here and, and what's happening. But I don't think they, they thought carefully about Israel, and I, I still think it's something they, they think about a lot, like it's a, it's a big deal to them. And in terms of your wife and her family, Let's see the other side of the story. She's bringing home this non-Jewish guy who's talking about converting. How are they feeling about this news? They were initially very concerned. There was a, a conversation that happened where maybe her mother or someone said something like, we didn't make Aliyah and come back to Israel for you to move back to America and marry uh, a non-Jewish person. And so they were concerned. But they also, we were intent on me meeting them. I went to Israel several times throughout the process. And they just got to talk to me and I made it an effort to really spend time with them when I was there. You know, I went for a couple weeks, a year after that first trip, and then I went again a few months later and then again a few months later. So I got to know them a, a little bit and really, I think, put them at ease and show that I'm really genuine. I think that was just their biggest concern that their daughter was going to get in with, with some person and something bad was going to happen to her and she was going to get hurt. But I think after we met and the more they, they learned about me, then they felt comfortable with it. You know, they could see I was committed, that I cared, that I cared about her, and that I, I cared about Judaism as well. Now, you said you were giving information to your parents kind of one step at a time. So you, I guess you go through the conversion, you get married, and now you're thinking, are we going to be in America or are we going to be in Israel? What happens in that stage of your life? So my wife was a shlicha with the Jewish Agency of Israel. So. Her, when she came to America shortly after I converted, actually she came right before I went into the mikveh, she was on sort of this two-year, three-year timer, this sort of clock that she's working in a community and she's providing content and she, that we were in Washington, D.C. at the time. So we knew, okay, after these two, three years are up, we had decided that 
if we're going to try this thing in Israel, then we, we have to go now. Now's the time. At the time when we were first thinking about this, you know, we didn't have a baby or anything like that. But, you know, she grew up in Israel. I really connected to Israel. If I want to move further into my Jewish identity and also feel like I'm in the place where ultimately Jewish destiny is, then I need to, to spend time in Israel and I need to go there. So we kind of just worked through it slowly. I think we always told my, my family that, look, this is something we're going to do. We're going to see how it goes and, and we'll go from there. And that's where we are. You know, this was now not quite at a year, at about 10 months since we came. It was late July of 2022. And I introduced you as being part of the Tikva Fund. And what I find fascinating about your story is it, it's like one thing to convert, but then to also have your career focus on something Jewish is like a whole nother level. Because you could have just said, I'm going to convert, but I'm just going to also be an accountant, or I'm going to have like a regular secular type job. So what made you actually have your career match what was happening for you personally? So I'm very much the, the sort of person where I like ideas, you know, I really care deeply about a lot of these ideas and about the flourishing of the Jewish people in, in the long run. And I thought to myself, look, when I first moved to, to Washington DC, I just needed to get a job. So I worked in healthcare for about six months. Um, and I was just working as like a, an administrative assistant, nothing, nothing significant. And then I met somebody at Tikva because I recognized his voice through a podcast. At that point, you know, I said, you know, I, I listened to your work because I'd found some of Tikva's stuff previously and then I listened to their work and I really appreciate it and I really learned a lot from it. And that was that and that connection just sort of percolated. Um, and then somebody from Chicago recommended to him to consider me for, for a new position at the time. He had just become editor of a magazine called Mosaic and they were looking for a new person to join the team. And uh, this person I knew in Chicago knew him, and she knew me, and she knew how we knew each other and, and made the recommendation. And then I joined Tikva, right, just as COVID started about. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with the organization, can you just share the purpose of the organization and your specific role there? Sure. So Tikva is an institution you know, dedicated to building the leaders of the Jewish people, and that means politically, religiously, culturally, we have really sort of three divisions. We have our Israel division, which is doing content in Hebrew. It's translating books. You know, we have a Haredi mag magazine and a separate intellectual magazine. Uh, we have sort of our ideas division, which kind of means basically means online content. So we have online courses and uh, several websites and a magazine. And then we have our, our education division. So Tikva runs programs for students from seventh grade all the way through post-college. And they can range from students with very little to no Jewish background to, you know, we have a lot of par partnerships at, at Orthodox Jewish day schools. So within Tikva, I work in the ideas division. I have my hands on all of the different programs that we're running. So we just published an online course recently uh, with a guy named Leon Cass about the book of Exodus. So I'm helping put that together, helping manage it, helping project manage it. And then also marketing for a magazine that we have that's called Mosaic, writing emails, social media, content and try and get people interested in our work. Let's give you one shot at a plug. So where should people go? What's the site or how should they contact you or the organization if they want to get involved or donate in some way? People should just go to tikvafund.org. Uh, they'll be able to see all of the different programs that we have there. Um, they'll be able to see, you know, some of the recent things that we've put out, online content that they can look at and read more about what we do. But tikvafund.org, that's T-I-K-V-A-H. Dot org, or Tikva Fund, T-I-K-V-A-H-F-U-N-D dot org. It's the first time I've done that in a long time. So uh... <laughs> The plug is complete. I want to go back to one other area to explore before we close the interview in terms of your experience as a convert living in Israel. 
And I want to contrast that to myself who became religious but was already Jewish. I felt like it was a very easy transition, especially with a last name Cohen. You start going to the Orthodox shul and you like immediately feel like part of the club. You have a name that if someone, you know, is thinking about it, like, oh, there's probably something to this guy's story. So what's that experience like for you? So my experience as a convert has actually been really positive. The only time people ever start to really wonder when they first talk to me is if they learn where I'm from. People find out I'm from kind of a rural place in Michigan. They usually just assume that either I'm a Baltuvar or maybe I'm a convert, but they never really know. And people typically don't ask. I have some feelings about that, but I think it's the respectful thing to do. And it's usually not information that I offer up necessarily to people unless I think it's pertinent to what we're talking about. But we didn't talk about this so much, but my becoming Jewish and that whole process was very much a community affair. You know, I spent so much time with different families and learning from people and seeing how they really live Judaism within their families and in their homes. And I experienced that even after I converted. You know, I spent time in, in other households and seeing how they're raising their children in, in this tradition, in this faith. My conversion is very much like a community affair. It doesn't happen because of me. It happens because of all the other people who supported me throughout this process. I've noticed even afterwards that people are always very conscious and careful and, and want to be helpful. You know, they, they don't want to push me or make me uncomfortable in any way because of my background. Um, and I really haven't experienced anything bad. And I think it's a, a very great credit to Claudisrael in that way. And you're right. We didn't talk too much specifically about the actual conversion. So was that process going on in Chicago while you were in college? Is that where you were getting the training, having the Shabbos experiences, etc.? Correct. Yeah. So I would meet with our Rev a couple times a week and then I would spend Shabbat in different homes basically every week. I remember I had just started going up to spend time in families when the Chagim came around. So there's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and all that. And these are all new experiences. And I'm, I remember sitting in shul for, I don't know how long, wondering when this is going to end, but just sort of like, okay, well, this is interesting. It's, it's exciting. And there are times where, you know, I remember the first Kol Nidre was, was like, wow, they had a really wonderful chazin. And I was reading the translation and I could see, you know, somebody explained to me sort of what it meant and what it was like. And I really connected. Then other times later on, it's less. But, you know, I always had the attitude that you can't really know if something can be a part of your life if, or it can be really significant for you if you don't really try. If you don't, every time you get some friction, if you don't try to push through that friction and keep going and keep going further and keep diving deeper. And so as I went through that process from the summer prior to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to about a year and a half-ish later, you know, that was a, an experience to try to keep pushing whenever we had problems come up or something wasn't right or, or I, I had a, a difficult holiday or I didn't have a good experience at one point or another. You could see that like, you know, there was enough going on that there's really something here and I need to, to push forward and do it. And I still feel that today. You know, I still feel that even after I'm Jewish, now I have these, these obligations upon me and these, I'm, I'm responsible to Hashem and to the Jewish people in a way that I wasn't before. But there's still this sense of this is a part of who I am now and it's on me to continue to push forward and dive deeper and, and make it a part of me because I didn't grow up Jewish. I have to really, in some ways, change my, my personality and who I am to conceive of myself as, as a Jew. And that's an ongoing process. I mean, that's part of moving to Israel. It's part of my work. It's part of everything. And what you just said is the perfect lead into the last question I want to ask you before we close with the lightning round. You mentioned one of the goals that you and your wife have is to have a large family. I think you said you have a daughter. So what else besides building this large family, what's on the bucket list for you and your wife as you think about growing in Judaism and also being in Israel? It's a good question. We are in Jerusalem, which is the most amazing place to be as a Jewish person. 
at the same time, being in Jerusalem, it can be hard to find the right community for you. You know, I think we have a sense of, of where we want to be, but right now for us, it's, it's finding the right community that we want to spend time in, that we want to, to grow our family in. And whether we stay in Jerusalem right now or for the long term, I think in Israel more generally, it's finding the right place where we feel like we can grow both into our lives in Israel, where we can grow into our roles as parents, and of, of course continue to grow within Judaism. She also you know, works in the Jewish world. So to her, it's, it's also uh, an important thing. And so it's sort of mixing all of that stuff together into uh, something that we can continue to push and move forward. Do you have a sense of what you might be looking for? Like, do you test out different communities as you think where you might ultimately settle down? We're not there yet. Her family lives uh, nearby in Jerusalem. So right now, you know, we've been here about 10 months. We found a nice place. That was a big accomplishment. Now we're settling into kind of like a routine of, okay, we know what we're doing, where we're going on a regular basis. Um, and I think we probably want to be in, in the area that we're in for two to three years. And then after that, then we'll start to really drill down on, on what is the best place for us. I feel like you're a guy I need to interview in five years just to see where your, where your story goes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe we can do that. If you're still doing the podcast, that'd be great. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the lightning round to close out the interview. I have a few short questions for you. Ready to go? Yes. First question, you and I talked at the beginning of the interview about the University of Michigan. In your mind, as someone who grew up there, what do you think is the single best sports team, professional or collegiate, that has the largest following? Ah, it's a good question. I would say, this makes me sad to say this, but I would have to say University of Michigan football. The Lions have never been very good. The Tigers are very on and off. The Pistons haven't been good in close to 15 years at this point. Michigan had some down years, but I would, I would have to say University of Michigan, despite uh, you know, a lot of my family attending Michigan State. I had to ask you that question. I think my sister submitted that to me since she went to University of Michigan. Okay, so fine. <laughs> it was a required question. Uh, let's talk about Israel with the second question. You had this trip when you were in college. What do you think it is about Israel that grabs people when they go for the first time? Israel is a society where almost every single person who lived there really cares. You spend time in America, you can grow up and not really care about where you're living. It's very easy to do that. You know, especially now today with the internet and with the ability to work remotely and, and all of that, you know, you can really grow up and not really care about the place you're in. You know, you can be divorced from it. You can not talk to your neighbor at all. You can get in your car and drive somewhere all the time. Israel, you're much tighter together you're part of a common heritage and a common group where not everybody sees things the same way by any means, but everybody really cares about it. You really feel like you are living Jewish destiny in a way that you just don't feel anywhere else. And even if you're just an American, living some random place in America, you might not necessarily feel that you're living sort of like in the American destiny, what the country is gonna become, that sort of thing. In Israel, you really feel that, and it's, it's a really remarkable thing. Last question. Uh, you and your wife are a young family. Have you developed your signature Shabbos dish that you'll serve the next time I come and spend the Shabbos with you? <laughs> um, my wife always makes these. This isn't a main course, but her favorite side dish is these potatoes with date honey and regular honey and, and all these different spices. And for her, she really enjoys that. Her mother made those growing up. So I feel like almost every single Shabbos we only make that is a side dish for us. She grew up a vegetarian, so she hasn't gotten to the point where she's preparing meat herself. Now she, she's not a vegetarian anymore, but she hasn't gotten to the point where she's preparing meat herself. So that's that's still on me. But uh, 
you know, maybe she'll grow into that soon in the future. It sounds delicious. So, John, I want to say you are out of the lightning round, and I want to thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.